Hello, everyone. Um, so today's reading will start with Matthew five seventeen to twenty. Uh, do not think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Therefore, everyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So when they say the word Bible, what does it mean to you? What comes to your mind? I mean, it, it's a very well-selling book. I mean, it, uh, it, I don't know, it's something that I feel like gets talked about a lot and people reference it a lot without reading it. When I think of Bible, I think there's a lot of things that are really outdated now in the Bible. So I, I think I tend to have more of a negative view that way just because of the way they like talk about slavery or like gays or women in the Bible. Like, I think a lot of it's pretty outdated and one doesn't really apply now. But so I'm not I'm not Christian, so I come from a different place anyway. But like, it's an interesting work of fiction that sort of like it has moral messages and like it teaches stuff like how you should live your life. But that's all it is. It's just like so it's a moral base that you can you could build your life around. And for some people, that's good. But, like, it's not something to be taken literally or anything. G'day, everybody. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church, Paraka. Love to see you this morning. Um, The video goes on and you hear about more uh, people and their views of the Bible. But there are lots of views about the Bible in our world, aren't there? Uh, Some people believe it. Some people don't. Some people find it historically interesting. Others think it's just a bore. Some people have heard parts of it and know parts of it. Some people are completely clueless as to what's in there. There are plenty of different opinions about the Bible. But by and large, I think, in Adelaide in, in 2021, you know, when push comes to shove, in real life terms, people tend to mostly just ignore the Bible. Uh, there's plenty of people who know about it, plenty of people who could say something about it. But when it comes to your, the Bible and your life intersecting, most people just ignore it. Of course, as a church, we don't want to do that, do we? Um, as a church, we want to pay attention because we're convinced that the Bible is, is different to what that guy at the end was saying. The Bible is God's word for us today. Um, but what would you say if you were approached by that camera crew there and they were asking you, what's your view of the Bible? What would you say? What's your attitude to the Bible? You probably noticed in a part of the Bible that we just read, Jesus gives his view of the Bible, or at least he gives his view of the Old Testament when he was talking. The New Testament wasn't written as it is today. So we just read from Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus' life, uh, and we're going through these opening chapters of Matthew here at church. 
Um, and the opening chapters read something like a superhero movie. Before Jesus, the true hero, comes, there was an older, wiser guy called John the Baptist. We met him a few weeks ago. He sets things up for Jesus. And then Jesus, the real superhero, comes along. Uh, he passes his first big challenge when he's tempted. Uh, he has a lot of initial success. He gets a big following. And now we're getting his big speech where he really tells us what he's all about. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And as we listen in today... We hear about Jesus' radical attitude and the radical attitude he wants his followers to have when they hear God speak. It's not just for them back then, this is for us today as well. Now you have to forgive me, I've, we've left the clicker at home today, so every now and again, then I'm going to point to Genevieve and she's going to hit the slide. Um, but the first thing we see that Jesus say today is this Jesus says, I've come to bring the Old Testament to its fulfillment. Uh, the people of the day, they seem to have cottoned on to this fact that, that, that Jesus is different, right? There are lots of religious people around back in the day, but Jesus is not like them. He's not the Pharisee. He's not like the priest. He's not like the teachers of the law. And so maybe there's this rumor going around that he's come to change things up a bit. He's bringing something new. And if he's bringing something new, maybe that means he's getting rid of something that's old as well. Maybe he wants to do away with the Old Testament. Jesus will have none of that. Look again at verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is crystal clear here, right? He's not here to get rid of the Old Testament. And it talks about there the law and the prophets. That's just a, a shorthand, a quick way of talking about the Old Testament. Jesus says, I'm not here to get rid of it. That's crazy talk. Because you can't get rid of anything that God has said. You can't do away with anything that God says. That's what verse 18 goes on to, to tell us. Verse 18. Uh, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Have you heard of the Jefferson Bible? Uh, it was put together by Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the USA. And he didn't think that things like miracles could happen. So what he did was he got the four Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And he got his scissors out and he started cutting out bits of that he didn't like, bits of the Bible he didn't like. He, and Jesus walking on water, now that goes out because it's a miracle. Jesus turns water into wine, but no, 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 no. We get rid of that bit, it's a miracle. Any reference to Jesus being divine, well, that gets cut out as well because that, that, that's a bit too far. And so all the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, they, they get cut out as well. Uh, we can't have miracles. See, he liked some parts of the Bible. He didn't like it all, though, so he took out the bits that he thought weren't right. And that's how we get the Jefferson Bible. Strange, right? But do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying we can't do this. None of God's word will disappear. Now, we know there are some parts of the Bible that are tricky, right? Some parts of the Bible that, as we read them, it's hard to understand what it's saying, what it's talking about. Some parts of the Old Testament prophets are like this. And there are other parts of the Bible that it's, well, it's just hard for us to know what to make of it today. That, that parts of the Bible that can be really challenging to us personally. Uh, things like... War in the Old Testament, or 
or like when we're confronted with our sin, what do we do with these parts of the Bible? It can be very easy when we come to those bits just to flick over to the next page and move right along. But you notice what we're doing when we do that? We're effectively cutting out part of God's word and not letting it speak to us. Friend, let's hear what Jesus is saying here today. Let's hear Jesus' words to us and not let parts of our Bible disappear. When we come to these tricky bits, let's wrestle with them. Let's, let's talk to each other and help each other understand and, and make sense of it. That's partly why we do community groups. But let's listen to the voice of God even when it is tough for us. Because God's word is never meant to disappear out of our lives. Jesus hasn't come to abolish any part of God's word. He's not here to put an end to the Old Testament law. He's here to fulfill it. Let me put the verse back on the screen there. Um, What does it mean that Jesus comes to fulfill the Old Testament? Uh, Because often when we hear this, we, we think that Jesus comes to do what the Old Testament said he would do. And that's true. That's very true. Jesus does do that. But there's slightly more going on here in Matthew. It's not here. It's not simply that Jesus does certain things. It's that he himself is is the culmination. He's the high point of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the law and all the prophets they're looking forward to this one, and Jesus comes fulfilling all the Old Testament before him. He brings it to its completion. In this way, Jesus is kind of like the Hunger Games. You know the Hunger Games, right? Anyone read the books? Yeah, a couple, a couple. I, I, um, I heard about the Hunger Games, and I heard it was teen fiction, and I'm like, uh, I'm far too mature for that. So uh, <laughs> I didn't pick it up. Pip convinced me to give it a go, though. Um, I read the books, and I loved it. So what does that say about my maturity level? I don't know. Um, I loved it so much, I was actually really looking forward to going and see the movies when they came out, and man, they did the right job. Um, but you read the first book, and I'm going to give you spoilers here, but if you haven't read to it now, you're probably not going to read it. It's like it's, it's been around for a long time. Anyway, spoilers coming. You read the first book, and at the end of the first book, you think, well, it's all done, isn't it? You know, The main character, Katniss, she's got into the Hunger Games, into this big competition, and she comes out alive at the end. And, and well, we've got the end of the story there. It's all happy, isn't it? Except it's not finished. Not everything's resolved. Because uh, you've still got this President Snow who seems to be menacing. He seems to want to um, make Katniss pay for a show of defiance. And so the book may have ended, but you know there's actually something more to come. There's, there's hints. More is on the way. So you get the second book, and you read through the second book, and you think at the end of it, well, it's not over then either. You know there's still more to come. And you get to the third book, and finally with the third book, you get your happy ending. You know, the bad guys have lost, the good guys have won. Peter and Katniss can live happily ever after. And we've reached our high point. We've got a completion here. Jesus says, without me, picking up the Bible, picking up the Old Testament, it, it's, like, it's like just reading the first two books of the Hunger Games and not reading the third one. Something's missing. You haven't got the high point. You haven't got the completion. That's what Jesus says. He's the high point. He comes to fulfill what the Old Testament was looking forward to. Which means two things for those of us who follow Jesus today. Firstly, we can't ditch any part of the Bible. I said that before. It's all God's word to us. 
even the Old Testament bits. Even though they might be hard. Friends, we've said this a few weeks ago. I want to say it again. Don't put your Old Testaments down and, and just leave them to get dusty. Make sure you're opening up those parts of the Bible, reading them and hearing God's word. We can't ditch any part of the Bible, even the Old Testament. But secondly then, our understanding of the Old Testament has to be shaped by Jesus. Because Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, we can't read it without thinking about Jesus. Or we can't read it without looking back on it through Jesus. There's lots more to say there. Um, more than I have time to go into today. But do you see how important Jesus is? He, he shapes the way that we need to understand the Old Testament. And then Jesus says something shocking. To the people of the day, they would have just about fallen over when they heard this out of surprise. It's nearly unthinkable what Jesus goes on to say. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, and you, if you want to be part of my kingdom, you've got to do better than the Pharisees. Look at verse 20 for us. Verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, on the face of it, Jesus seems like he's, he's setting a really high bar here, isn't he? Too high. How can we be better than the Pharisees? I mean, these are the guys who pride themselves on obeying the commands in the Old Testament. How is it possible to be better than them? But no, no, no. Hear this, friends. Jesus is not setting the bar too high for us. That's not what's going on. In fact, what Jesus is doing here, he's saying that the Pharisees are missing something. The Pharisees are missing something. And he goes on to explain just what the problem is with them. We hear it in the coming verse. In fact, Nathaniel's going to come up now, and he's going to read the next chunk of, of Matthew for us. And as you do, listen out. Hear what's missing from the Pharisees. Thanks, Nathaniel. So we're continuing from verse 21 to uh, verse 48. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there, in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on, your, on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better, better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you 
that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did you catch what the Pharisees' problem is there? Um, we'll, we'll go through the first example of murder and, and, and check it out. So verse 21, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So the Pharisee, he hears this and he thinks, Tick, done, complete. I've never murdered anyone, so I'm still good. My righteousness, my goodness is still intact. Yay for me. But Jesus says, no, there's more to it. So look at verse 22. But I tell you, Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see, it's not just about murder. It's also about the anger that lies behind murder. It's about the internal anger that builds up inside of us. And, and the anger that bursts out from us. And, and the anger that spills over in the words that we speak. Do you see the difference between Jesus and the Pharisee here? The Pharisee hears the command from God, you shall not murder. And, and, and he sees a line in the sand, right? There's a line in the sand. And as long as I don't cross over that line, I'm okay. Right? I, can, I can get as close to that line as I want. I can even put a toe over that line. I can probably put a, a whole foot over that line. I can put nearly all of me over that line, as long as there's 51% of me behind the line, I haven't broken the commandment. The Pharisee is a line in the sand legalist. When they hear God's word, their attitude is, okay, where's the line? What, 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 what can I not do? Where's the line? Which is really just the same as saying, 
what can I get away with here? Jesus says, no. And this really is the second point for today. Jesus calls his followers to give maximum obedience to God's command. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then listen to God's command and figure out how can you maximize your obedience to what God is saying. So if the command says, don't murder, then I'm not even going to get angry. In fact, the command says, don't murder, I'm not going to get angry and I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to rebuild the broken relationships in my life. And so one of the examples Jesus gives is of a guy going to uh, give a gift at the altar, going to sacrifice at the altar. Um, but he stops and he goes to seek reconciliation. Now, sacrificing is a big deal in the Old Testament. Right? This is, in Jesus' world, this is, this is a big thing. It's, it's, it's a big act of worship. But Jesus says being reconciled is even more important. You should stop what you're doing in your big act of worship so that you can go and be reconciled. That's how important this is. Maximizing your obedience to the command. It's challenging, isn't it? I mean, on a personal level for us, how's your anger going? Is is there sin here that you need to confess? And and, uh, what lengths are you willing to go to to rebuild relationships? What boundaries, what limits would you put on that? You see the difference between Jesus and the Pharisee. The Pharisee is a line in the sand legalist. He hears God's command and he asks, what can I get away with here? Jesus wants his followers to hear God's command and to ask a different question. To ask, how can I maximize my obedience to God? They're not lying in the sand legalists. Jesus says they're they're, they're cherished children of God. Cherished children of God. This um, Sermon on the Mount goes for three chapters, but 17 times in these three chapters, God is referred to as your father, your father, your father. It's it's impossible to miss because that's the key thing. Jesus' followers don't maximize their obedience to win God's favor, to earn their place with him. No, no, they're in already. They're already children. They're children of God. And and so they're shaped by God and his desires for their life. They're not lying in the sand legalists legalists who ask, what can I get away with? They're they're cherished children who love their father and who want to be like him, who want to maximize their obedience to what he says. It's a stark difference, isn't it? It's also, it's also pretty challenging. You can, why don't we check out another example that Jesus gives of this, uh, the example of adultery. So verse 27, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And so what does the Pharisee think when he hears this command? He thinks, well, where's the line? The line is at adultery. So as long as I don't sleep with another woman, I'm okay. I can do anything up to that point, but I just can't sleep with her. Listen to Jesus in verse 28. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus wants his followers to say, how can I maximize my obedience? Well, God is telling me that that the place for sexual fulfillment is in marriage. So I'm not going to pursue it anywhere else, right? In fact, 
Jesus goes on to say, I'm going to get rid of anything that will even make me stumble at this point. He talks about plucking out eyes and cutting off hands. It's, it's hyperbole. It's, 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 he's going over the top. He doesn't really mean us to go and go home and get your eyeball out. It's exaggeration to help us grasp the point that he's making. In fact, here's what one, one writer said about it. Jesus is telling us that we must deal with sin as drastically and radically as necessary. Drastic, radical action. Nothing is off limits. Friends, how can we maximize our obedience to God in this area? Do we need to grow in our discipline so that we build habits of not looking and not fantasizing fantasizing about the attractive woman or the attractive guy? Do we need to be quicker to walk out of the movie or, or turn off the TV show or put down that book because really all it's doing is getting my mind in all the wrong places? But let's be honest. The elephant in the room here is pornography, isn't it? Um, different studies will throw up the precise, different studies will throw up precisely different numbers, but, but they all show really the same trend, and that is porn is everywhere and it's being consumed by many, many people. The huge majority of people have seen it, uh, and a large group of people watch it regularly. Um, this, this isn't just a problem out there. Studies have shown it's a problem for people in church as well. It's not just a problem for men, it's a problem for women too. Let me ask you then. Is this an issue for you? And is there drastic action that you might take? Do you need to get software on your phone or on your computer to help? Maybe do you need to just throw out your smartphone and get one of those old school phones so that there's no temptation to get on the internet and browse and find porn sites? Maybe you need to cut off the internet at certain hours in your home. You cut the internet off from your home completely. Now, there's no doubt some of these things feel drastic and it would maybe feel like cutting off your hand. But if this is what it takes, friends, to, to maximize your obedience to God, as cherished children of God, isn't that what we want? To maximize our obedience to our loving Heavenly Father. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to jump a bit forward now. I want to go to verse 43 and and look at one more example, if we can. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament. Um, Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. But nowhere in the Old Testament does it say, hate your enemy. That hopefully doesn't surprise us. But this is how the command had become interpreted. You see there, it said, uh, the, the command says, love your neighbor. And so the Pharisee sees that and he says, well, that's the line, isn't it? I need to love my neighbor, but that means I can hate my enemy. It's, it's a line in the sand. It's line in the sand legalism. It asks, what can I get away with here? Listen to Jesus in verse 44. He says, I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. The command is about love. So how do I maximize my obedience to that? 
So I love anyone, even an enemy, even someone who would, would persecute me. This is radical, isn't it? It's, it's radical love and it's inspired by God. Verse 44 again. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's, it's radical love inspired by the love of our heavenly Father for his world. So let me ask you, let's get a bit practical again here. What's your reaction when, um, say, when you hear someone at work or maybe on the TV or in the news, but when you hear someone and, and they have a go at Christianity, have a dig at, at Christians, what's your reaction? Or, or think about it, you know, a few years ago, um, the, the same-sex marriage plebiscite was a big thing, and, and, and as it did, people often spoke um, pretty openly about Christians being bigots and haters. What was your reaction to this kind of stuff? How did it make you feel? Have you grown just numb to it all so that when it happens, you, you don't really notice it? Do you, do you feel in yourself a desire to, to kick back and to give people a bit of your own mind? Or is your instinctive reaction to pray? To pray for that person's good? Is your desire to show love? even when you're feeling under attack. It feels so unnatural to do this, doesn't it? But this is what Jesus calls us to, to maximize our obedience. There are other areas in this life where we can show love too, not just when we're attacked for being Christians. But do you see how radical Jesus wants his followers to be here? If you're anything like me, it does feel so unnatural. It's, it's deeply challenging. There's more to say here. Um, I've not even touched on divorce, making oaths and telling truth, justice and seeking revenge. We don't have time to go through all of them now, to be honest, or else we might be here until um, well after lunch. We're going to have a question time in a moment, though, so if you've got questions, feel free to ask. But remember, here's the big thing, friends. Jesus wants his followers to be different from the Pharisees. They are lying in the sand legalists. They hear God's command and they ask, what can I get away with? Jesus says, in my kingdom it's different. My followers are cherished children of God. They're loved by their heavenly father. They, they want to please him. And so they ask a different question. When they hear God's command, they ask, how can I maximize my obedience to my father in heaven? We don't always get this right, do we, friends? That doesn't change our place in the kingdom. It doesn't take our place in the kingdom away. Remember, we're already in cherished children of the Father through Jesus. But as God's cherished children, then let me ask, let me say, let me urge us that we want to be then. Don't we want to be those people who maximize our obedience and so please our Father in heaven? Let me pray that God would help us do this. Father, today we hear some pretty challenging words from Jesus. We hear a call to be people who maximize our obedience to the commands in your word. Not to forget them, not to turn over them, but to know what you say to us through Jesus. 
And so live lives of maximum obedience. God, we pray that you would always help us know we are your cherished children. To turn back to you even when we fail. But God, today, please help us walk out of here with some concrete ideas about how we might maximize our obedience to you and so please you, our Heavenly Father. We ask for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen.